0: Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. That will be the sermon text for today, Exodus chapter 30. The New Testament reading will be Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 12. Uh, The scripture text will not be on the screen today. Again, the the text is rather long that we're considering, and so I thought it would be best for you to open your Bibles to these passages and to follow along uh, in your copies of, of the Bible. Exodus chapter 30. And Hebrews uh, chapter 9. Here now the reading of God's most holy word. Uh, here we find more instructions for the making of the tabernacle given to Moses on the mountain uh, for the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense, you shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top, and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil. That is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year. Throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half-shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives." The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a brazen basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die." They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, According to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the, perfu- by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense. And the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. and onycha and galbanum sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be an equal part and make an incense blended as by the perfumer seasoned with salt pure and holy you shall beat some of it you shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you it shall be most holy for you and the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves, it shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Let us go now to Exodus, excuse me, to Hebrews chapter nine, and read verses one through twelve. Hebrews chapter nine verses one through twelve. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, And the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory. Overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations have, having thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section. Performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he but once a year and not without taking blood. Which he offers for himself. And for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened up as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So far, the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. So in Exodus chapter 30, we find more instructions for the building and the ongoing maintenance of the tabernacle, its furnishings, and its priesthood. Why should the new covenant people of God care about these instructions, given that they were For those who lived under the old covenant. I wish to say a word about that question in the introduction to this sermon. These passages that we have been considering over the past number of weeks are long and they are tedious. They are filled with so much detail, and I trust that you are doing well in receiving all of this. Nevertheless, I think I should address the question why should we care? Why should we pay attention? to these Old Testament texts that have to do with things that were for the Old Covenant people of God and are not for us. One, I say the facts matter. It is good to know how the people were to worship back then and under that Old Covenant. Knowing the facts will also help us to read and to understand the rest of the Old Testament. Indeed, knowing these facts about the tabernacle, all of its furnishings, its priests will help us to read the New Testament too, for Jesus and His apostles were born into the Old Covenant. Jesus lived and died under the Old Covenant. He worshipped at the temple under these laws which we are now considering. The early church had to wrestle with the question, are these laws still binding upon us now that the Messiah has come? So these facts are important. For much that is written in the scriptures after the time of the making of the old Mosaic covenant presupposes that you understand these things. Indeed, the more familiar you are with the facts of the Old Testament, the more you will recognize references to and allusions to the Old Testament in the New Testament scriptures. I would encourage you at some point to open your Bibles and begin to read in the New Testament, asking yourself the question Does this text that I am now reading have anything to do with the Old Testament, does it have the Old Testament as its backdrop, the answer will oftentimes be yes. I think if you look for it, you'll be surprised by how often the New Testament builds upon the Old. My point is simply this, uh, one good reason for us to study the Old Testament, even these long and tedious texts that seem so foreign to us, is that... It is good for us to simply know the facts concerning what God did with His people back under the Old Covenant. It will help us to be even better students of Holy Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Two, these facts matter in a special way because as we have been learning, the things that Israel was commanded to do in the building of the tabernacle, in the establishment of the priesthood, and in the maintenance of them, all had reference to Christ. So we must confess that, yes, the people of Israel did really approach God to worship him, to pray to him, and to serve him under the old covenant. But at the same time, these forms of worship were little pointers or pictures of the Christ who was yet to come and to the work that he would accomplish for the redemption of all who trust in him, both then and now. I think it is safe to say that we who live now after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, see Him with greater clarity in the Old Testament Scriptures and in the worship of the Old Covenant people of God. We see Christ clearly in all of these passages because He has come as the fulfillment to these passages. So, in many ways, it is much easier for us to see Christ in these things, to see Him pictured there or prefigured there. Nevertheless... I think it is right to say that the faithful who lived under the Old Covenant did have access to this truth themselves. They saw Christ dimly. We see Him now in the light of the noontime sun. Why do we see Christ in the Old Testament more clearly now? It is because He has come to fulfill the law, the prophets, and the Psalms in His life, death, and resurrection. And we have the New Testament Scriptures now which make these connections for us. There is a reason why I have been reading from the book of Exodus. And then I have been reading, over the past few weeks especially, the book of Hebrews again and again. uh, The book of Hebrews is famous for this. It makes explicitly clear the connections for us. The book of Hebrews helps us to see with great clarity how the old covenant has given way to the new and how the old covenant prefigured Christ our great high priest who has come in the order of Melchizedek. So, we have the New Testament scriptures which make these connections for us. But again, I say to you, this is not to say that the faithful who lived prior to Christ were without the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ and his finished work were revealed to them from Adam's day onward through promises, prophecies, types, and shadows. And so I say to you that these facts concerning the construction of the tabernacle, the garb of the priesthood, their ordination, and all of these tedious details concerning the maintenance of the worship of God under the old covenant matter because they are not just brute facts. My desire is not that you would just memorize how the tabernacle was constructed, what its dimensions were, how the priests were to be consecrated, what they were to wear, and all of the details concerning the anointing with oil and ceremonial washings, memorize the facts, yes, but you must see that they are not just brute facts. These things signified Christ, and these symbols of Christ must be considered, for by them we come to a greater understanding of who He is and what He has done for us. Three, these facts concerning the worship of God under the Old Covenant matter, because they help us to better understand who we are in Christ Jesus. The blessings that come to us through faith in Him and what it is that He has called us to do. And I will not elaborate on this point much now. I think I could show you what I mean simply by saying this to you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That phrase ought to sound very familiar to you. It is the way that Paul speaks of the, the church, the new covenant people of God made up of, of Jew and Gentile. What is he doing? Paul is... Taking this, this, this language from the Old Covenant, tabernacle, and temple, and he is saying to the church, You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That tells us something wonderful. It tells us something very important about who we are in Christ Jesus and what our calling is in him, what our mission is. Or perhaps I can use this phrase this is from Peter. You are. Are a royal priesthood, Peter says. Again, Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, picks up Old Testament images, uses Old Testament language and themes and applies it to the church. You are a royal priesthood, Peter says. And so as we consider all of these things that were said to Moses and given to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant, we must see that they are not just Brute facts to be memorized, but they are filled with symbolisms which point forward to Christ and even point forward to his finished work and the benefits that come to us through faith in him. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a royal priesthood. Those are just two examples of the way in which these themes land upon us under the new covenant. Maybe another way of saying all of this very succinctly is that studying these long and tedious portions of the book of Exodus is important because... The gospel of Jesus Christ is contained here. I'm not saying that law equals gospel. Do not misunderstand me. But I am saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ was contained within even these ceremonial laws which were revealed to Old Covenant Israel. And I think that is a marvelous thing for us to consider, brothers and sisters. The faithful in the Old Covenant times had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can better appreciate Christ and what he has done for us. This great news that has come to us um, through Jesus Christ as we consider these Old Testament texts. I say all of this by way of introduction in the hopes that it will help us to consider the facts of Exodus 30 concerning the altar of incense, the ransom price that was to be paid, the bronze laver, and the anointing oil in a way that is faithful to the whole of Scripture. That is to say... In a Christ centered way. In Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10, we find instructions for the making of the altar of incense. In previous passages, we encountered instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. These included instructions for the making of certain items that would be contained within the tabernacle in the courtyard. There was to be an altar of bronze upon which burnt sacrifices were to be offered up to the Lord. The holy place was to contain the golden lampstand and the table for the bread of presents. A veil was to separate the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place was to contain the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat as its lid. Inside that chest, the law of God was to be kept. We've considered each of these items and their significance in previous sermons. Here we learn about the altar of incense. This altar was to be made of acacia wood. It was to be overlaid with pure gold. It was to be about 18 inches wide and 18 inches deep with a height of about 36 inches A molding of gold was to be placed around its edges. Horns were to be crafted on its four corners. So then you could see it resembled the bronze altar that was in the courtyard upon which animal sacrifices were offered up, only smaller. No food or drink was to be offered up on this altar, only a certain kind of incense. This altar was to be placed immediately outside of the Holy of Holies, near the curtain and inside the holy place. The priest was to burn incense in the morning and evening as he tended the lamp in the holy place, which was to burn continuously. Animal blood was to be placed on the horns of the altar once per year. In a previous sermon, I mentioned this altar and its significance. I got ahead of myself a little bit. When the priests burnt incense on it in the morning and evening what did it signify what did it signify except the prayers of God's people how do we know this well in a way the symbolism speaks for itself the altar was set immediately outside the most holy place within the throne uh, wherein the throne room of God in heaven was signified as the incense burned the smoke from it would have passed through the curtain and into the very presence of God and this is a beautiful symbol for prayer don't you think it's a very beautiful physical representation of of how prayer spiritual prayer functions prayer is an invisible thing when we pray to God you cannot see it you cannot see your words rise and and come into the presence of God and enter his ear if if you will Um, Prayer is an invisible thing, and we even pray in silence from time to time. We we cannot see it, and I am saying that this invisible act of prayer was beautifully symbolized in the tabernacle through the burning of this incense. Aaron and his sons were to burn this incense morning and evening, signifying the prayers of God's people making their way into the very presence of God who is in heaven. But the burning of incense on this altar signified prayer is also made clear from other passages of Scripture that connect the two things for us. In Psalm 141, verse 2, it is David who says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So David thought of the burning of incense in the temple as a symbol of prayer. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, we encounter the story about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist who would make the way for the Messiah. John's father, Zechariah, was ministering at the temple and was selected to burn incense on this altar that we are now considering in Exodus 30. And what was he doing while burning incense except praying? He was praying. And we are told that the people were outside waiting for him. And what, they, what were they doing? They were they were praying, and so, as Zechariah went into this uh, temple to offer incense up to the Lord on this altar, he was praying, and the people were praying. It was signified that by the smoke that rose and permeated into the most holy place into the very presence of god and in revelation five eight and eight three through four incense and prayer are related in revelation eight three we read, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So here in Revelation, John saw a vision, not of the tabernacle or temple on earth, but of the throne room of God in heaven, of which the tabernacle and temple on earth were a copy, and there John was shown a vision of the heavenly altar of which the earthly altar in the tabernacle was a copy. Again, when the incense was burned upon it, upon that heavenly altar, in the vision that was shown to John, it signified the prayers of God's people on earth, even now, coming before the throne of God and into his ears. So now you have the facts about this altar. That Israel was instructed to make. You know about its material, its design, its dimensions. You know about its placement in the tabernacle. You know even about the ingredients contained within the incense that was to be burned morning and evening. You even know the facts regarding the symbolism. But I would ask you to take a moment to consider the spiritual benefit that the altar of incense brought to the faithful who lived under the old covenant. Those of faith, those who believed in in God and trusted in His promises under the Old Covenant, would have been greatly encouraged to have the priest burn this incense and to see the smoke of it make its way behind the veil and to smell the pleasing aroma. It would have reminded the worshiper in a physical, physical way, in a tangible way, of God's love for them, that He had made a way for them to approach Him. Through the blood of atonement, through the mediation of the priesthood, and through the washing of water, as Israel sojourned in the wilderness and later settled in the land that the Lord would give to them, the smoke of the incense would have reminded the worshiper that Yahweh was not distant, but was in their midst, and that He had graciously invited them to approach Him in prayer." So consider, brothers and sisters, the kindness of God. Consider how kind He is to make a way for His people and even to condescend to their weakness, to give them this visible sign of spiritual realities. This was a great blessing. We are to pray to God, but we cannot see our prayers come into the presence of God. This was a visible sign of these spiritual realities. And it was a help to the old covenant people of God to reassure them that God was near to them, and that they were invited to approach him in the way that he had prescribed. So why do we not burn incense today? Why do we not burn incense today? Well, the simple answer is that we are not under the old covenant anymore. We are under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, we enjoy even greater benefits The priests who descended from Levi and Aaron do not mediate for us and offer up prayers on our behalf from on earth. Instead, Jesus the Messiah, the great high priest who came in the order of Melchizedek, is our mediator. We are invited to come boldly before the throne of grace, that is to say boldly, to God in heaven... In his name. And he himself does intercede for us. Not from on earth. But in heaven. Where he is seated at the father's right hand. So yes Christian. You may be encouraged to pray to God. And reassured that he hears your prayers. As you consider the altar of incense. And the smoke that arose from it into the Holy of Holies through the ministry of the Aaronic priesthood under the Old Covenant. It is perfectly right for you to read this text of Scripture and to see the symbolism there and to think this is communicating a spiritual truth that our prayers do come into the very presence of God. Thanks be to God. But do not forget that we have something even greater now. The Christ has come In fulfillment to these things. He is the priest and mediator of a better covenant founded on better promises. Through Him the way to God the Father has been opened up for us. If you ever see a priest today burning incense before an altar to signify the prayers of God's people. Or the presence of God in the midst of them you know that this priest has in one way or another denied that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh to accomplish our redemption. This priest, even if he bears the name Christian or ministers in what is called a church, is denying the full accomplishment of our redemption by Jesus Christ and His perfect mediation for us in Heaven now by claiming to be a priestly mediator on earth as Aaron and his sons were under the Old Covenant. Do you see it? Under the Old Covenant there were Priests who ministered on behalf of the people on earth, but not under the new. For Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has come. And where is he? He is not ministering on earth as the priests who descended from Aaron did. He has ascended to the Father's right hand, and there he intercedes for us. He is greater, and we are to remember him. Even as we consider these old covenant ways of worship, we are to consider how the Lord worked for through these things in those days. We are to rejoice in the symbolism. We're to be encouraged for it, but we must remember Christ. Christ has come in fulfillment of these things. And he is not ministering as a high priest on earth. He's ministering as our great high priest in heaven. Something greater has come. The veil in the temple was torn in two, brothers and sisters. Luke 23, 45. The temple was declared to be desolate by Christ Himself. Matthew 23, 38. The Old Covenant order was made obsolete when the New Covenant was made in Christ's blood and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 8, 13. It vanished away entirely when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, with not one stone remaining on top of another, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 28. Never should we in any way return to that Old Covenant order. For Christ has come in fulfillment to the old. In him and through the covenant he mediates, we have something superior. Hebrews chapter 7 and 8 speak most beautifully about this. So has the Lord given the new covenant people of God any visible signs to encourage us to pray and to reassure us of his presence with us and that our prayers are heard by by him? You understand the question I am asking. The Lord condescended to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant and gave them visible signs of spiritual realities. In fact, he gave them a lot of visible signs of spiritual realities. And here I am asking, has the Lord given us any visible signs to encourage us to pray, to reassure us of his presence with us, and that our prayers are heard by him? I say yes, indeed he has. Baptism... And the Lord's Supper are visible signs to us. In water baptism, we are reassured that our sins have been washed away through faith in Christ and that we have been united to him by the Spirit in his death and resurrection. We are seated with Him now in the heavenly places where He lives to make intercession for us. And in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the same things. Lord's Day after Lord's Day, both baptism and the Lord's Supper signify Christ's finished work and the benefits that come to us through faith in Him as partakers of the covenant of grace. One of those benefits is access to the throne of grace. This access has been made possible through Christ's priestly mediation. So if you wish to have a visible sign to encourage you to pray, to reassure you that God hears your prayers and is with you now, you may consider the smoke from the incense burned upon the altar before the Lord in the tabernacle by the Aaronic priests, but as a Christian, You must see these things as fulfilled in Christ. And more than this, you must partake of the means of grace that God has given to us under the new covenant, which signify Christ, the accomplishment of our redemption by His death and resurrection, and all of the benefits that come to us now through His ascension to the Father and by His sending of the Holy Spirit. Consider baptism. Consider the Lord's Supper and all that they signify The Lord has condescended to us in these things to encourage our hearts, to reassure us that we are His and He is ours and we may come boldly before Him and bring our petitions to Him in the name of Jesus Christ, our Mediator. Let us now move on to consider briefly the ransom price that the people of Israel were to pay for their own lives at the tabernacle. I will not speak of this in detail in brief here we learn that whenever a census was taken within Israel in preparation for war at the command of the Lord, this ransom price was to be paid. Stated differently Israel was never to go to war except at the Lord's command. And when the Lord commanded them to go to war, a census was to be taken and this ransom price was to be paid. There are many passages in the Old Testament that speak of this. All of the males 20 years old and older, that is to say the males who were of fighting age, were to give half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary as an offering to the Lord. That was about one-fifth of an ounce of silver. This was the amount that all were to give no matter if they were rich or poor. This money in verse 16 is called atonement or reconciliation money. It would be used to support the service of the tent of meeting, that it would bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for their lives. That is what Exodus 30 verse 16 says. If this tax were not taken, or if the people were numbered for war apart from the Lord's command, a plague would befall the people. And this was the case when David as king took a census apart from the Lord's command And without this tax being taken in 2 Samuel chapter 24, what did this ransom price signify? It reminded all of Israel that they belonged to the Lord under the old covenant, that He was their God and King, and that their lives belonged to Him. They were bound to obey His voice. This ransom price was to be paid as a reminder of these truths. They were the Lord's. He was their King supremely. Certainly this ransom price prefigured Christ, who would give His life as a ransom for His people and as an atonement for their sins. If Christ has paid the ransom price for you, then you are His, you see. Christ has paid your ransom by His shed blood, and you are His. He is your Lord. You are bound to serve him as Lord and King. And under his kingship, he has numbered you to engage in holy war, a war to be fought not with carnal weapons, but spiritual weapons. It seems clear to me that Peter had this passage in Exodus 30 concerning the war census and the requirement of a ransom price in mind When he wrote to the New Covenant Christians saying this, "...therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's needs, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you hear Peter's message? He's saying to the Christians, Do not forget that you were ransomed. That you are not your own. That you have been called to be prepared for action. That you have been called to live a life of holiness in this world. You have been ransomed. You are not your own. And you have been ransomed not with perishable things like silver and gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. You are His. And you are to live for His glory in this world. And in the book of Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. We hear the song of the four living creatures and the 24 elders. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I think it is very interesting that this song was sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders right after we are told that they fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Here I am simply trying to clue you in to the reality that what is said in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, has this text in Exodus 30 in its background from beginning to end. Here we are reminded about the offering up of incense and our prayers coming before the God of heaven. That's Old Testament imagery being used here. We are being reminded of the fact that a ransom price has been paid for us, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. We are His. Here in the book of Revelation, we are reminded that we have been made into a kingdom of priests to our God. I told you earlier that knowing these stories from the Old Testament will help us to read The New Testament, well, that is especially true of the book of Revelation, which draws its symbols from these texts that we are now considering. I hope that you're able to make the connections, brothers and sisters, and to do so even more than I have said to you here or suggested to you here. Um, We must see that these things that we are considering in Exodus chapter 30 did prefigure what Christ would do. He would ransom people for himself, rich and poor, powerful and weak, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with his precious blood. Under the old covenant, when the men, rich and poor, 20 years old and upward, were counted for war at the command of God, they were reminded that they belonged to the Lord. They were not their own, but God was supreme over them. It was a reminder when they gave this census tax that God owns the lives of His people. And although He would have the right to require His people to lose their lives in battle, He generously gave them back their lives so they could enjoy the abundant life He had for them within His covenant protection. This ransom payment was to be used for the maintenance of the tabernacle. So this money was to be taken... And then the, 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 the money required to maintain the tabernacle would be provided for in this way. I want you to listen to what Paul says to you, New Covenant Christian. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Again, I am wanting you to see that these themes are drawn from Exodus chapter 30. He is here saying to the new covenant people of God, You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he is here using the, the theme of, rede- of, of redemption. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And brothers and sisters, I ask you, how do you live? Do you live as if you were your own, as if you were the supreme Lord over yourself, or do you live as if Christ has purchased you, that he is your Lord, he is your master, you live each moment of each day to serve him and to further his kingdom? This ransom price under the Old Covenant functioned like a tangible memorial to Old Covenant Israel to remind them that they belong to the Lord. And now I ask you, has the Lord given the New Covenant people of God a memorial to signify this truth that we belong to Him through the price of redemption paid by Christ? Again, I say, yes, indeed. In water baptism, the Lord puts His name on us as we say, Jesus is Lord. In the Lord's Supper, God the Father invites His people to commune with Him at His table, for Christ has reconciled us to the Father through His broken body and shed blood. And in this way, we are reminded that we belong to the Lord each and every Lord's day as we come before His table. Now, I have not left much time to talk about the bronze laver and the anointing oil for the priests. I do believe I can get to this quickly, though, to get to the point of it. The bronze laver was a large basin that held water for cleansing. It was to be placed in the courtyard of the tabernacle, just outside of the entrance to the holy place. And the priests were to use this water for ceremonial washing. So there it is, right outside of the entrance to the holy place, between the entrance to the holy place and the altar that was to be used to offer up burnt sacrifices. A large laver containing water to be used for cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. Back in Exodus 29, we learned that the priests were to be washed in this water as a part of their ordination ceremony before being clothed with the special garments that were made for them. This suggests that they were to be washed from head to toe when they were consecrated. Are you following with me now? The priests were to be washed from head to toe in their ordination ceremony before being clothed and ordained to serve as priests to God under the Old Covenant. On a daily basis, they were to wash their hands and feet before entering the holy place. This signified their need to be cleansed from the filth of sin before approaching the presence of the Lord. This water... Cleansed the flesh only, and it made the priest ceremonially clean. We know that only faith in the promised Messiah could cleanse the conscience to make one right before God. But the symbolism was powerful, wouldn't you agree? What was communicated by this ceremonial washing? If you wish to approach the God of heaven, you must be cleansed. That is what was communicated by this ceremonial washing. And, of course, having dirt and filth washed from the body accomplished nothing. This bodily washing signified the need for the cleansing of the soul, the cleansing of the conscience before God. And what can wash away our sins in this way? Not water, not the blood of bulls and goats. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus. So then the priests were ceremonially ordained to the priestly office in this water, and they were also to wash their hands and feet before ministering in the holy place, day after day. I would like you to make a few connections. One, consider that Jesus was washed in water from head to toe at his baptism before entering his public ministry as our great high priest make this connection Jesus was washed in water at his baptism before entering into his public ministry to serve as our great high priest he was washed in water by john the baptist not to wash away the filth of sin for he had none but it is said that he did this to fulfill all righteousness what what was going on there at jesus baptism then what was the thing being signified he had no sin This had nothing to do with repentance and the forgiveness of sins. What was Jesus' baptism all about? Here is what it was about. As the Messiah, Jesus came to fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And as our great high priest, he was ceremonially washed in the waters of baptism. He was consecrated to this work. He was ordained to it at his baptism. The labor in the temple and the consecration of the priests who descended from Aaron signified the coming Messiah and his priestly office were to make a connection between these two things. Two, make this connection, all of the disciples of Jesus are also to be washed with water, because all who have Jesus as Lord under the new covenant are they themselves priests to God. First Peter 2 9 has already been referenced. Peter wrote to all New Covenant Christians when he said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Have you ever thought of your baptism in this way? Baptism, water baptism, signifies many things... But I think we are to make a connection between water baptism and these ceremonial washings of the old covenant. The priests of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, they were to be ordained to their office of priest through the washing of water from head to toe. And so too we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, having been washed by his blood, having been forgiven by him, having been adopted through faith in him, having had our sins washed away, we become priests to God and we too are ordained into this priesthood, if you will, uh, through this ceremonial washing. Three, I wonder if those episodes that we see in the New Testament regarding Jesus having his feet washed, for example, with the tears of the woman in Luke 7 or the debate that took place between Jesus and Peter in John 13. I wonder if these episodes do not have Exodus 30 and the requirements for the priesthood as their backdrop. Jesus bathed at the beginning, was bathed at the beginning of his ministry in water by John, but his feet were washed by the tears of the woman, and then she anointed him with oil. I think she knew. That Jesus was the Messiah, the priest who had come in the order of Melchizedek. This woman knew that. And she was drawing upon these Old Testament ceremonial washings. The the washing of water from head to toe at the beginning to ordain the priest. But also the daily washing of the feet and the hands of the priest. This woman, I think, knew who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And so... She washed him with her own tears in this way and wiped her tears off of his feet with her own hair. What a moving scene uh, this is in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus' disciples were water baptized and Christ did also wash their feet. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. You remember this scene? You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you... You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my, my hands and my head. In other words, if that is the case, then wash me from head to toe. Jesus corrects Peter again and says to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. I cannot demonstrate this to you now for the sake of time, but if you were to compare the language of John 13 in the Greek with the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Exodus chapters 28 through 30, you would see that there is a correlation to be made. It is important to pay attention to the language that Jesus uses regarding being bathed, washing, and being made clean. I do believe that this episode here and the little debate that took place between Jesus and Peter had these ceremonial washings of the priesthood of the Old Covenant as their backdrop. Peter had been washed from head to toe by his water baptism already. You do not need to be washed again, Jesus says. You only need to have your feet cleansed. Uh, Just as the priests of God who ministered in the Old Covenant had their hands and their feet cleaned day after day as they ministered within the temple. And that is indeed what Peter was called to do. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was going to be called to minister within God's temple. And I am not here referring to the temple of stone, but rather the church of Jesus Christ under the new covenant. The point is this. Under the old covenant, the priests had to undergo ceremonial washing And I am here asking, do we have anything like this under the new covenant? I say, yes, baptism. Christ was baptized to signify that he is the great and true priest of God who would offer himself up as a sacrifice for sins, who would cleanse his people and intercede for them in heaven forever and ever. And all who follow him are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For all who have Jesus as Lord, Jew and Gentile, are consecrated to God as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his own possession, that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Finally, we come to the anointing oil. The priests under the Old Covenant, along with the tabernacle itself, its furnishings and utensils, were to be anointed with a special kind of oil prepared by a skilled perfumer. So then the priests would have been marked off not only by their dress, but also by their smell. Kings were anointed with oil under the Old Covenant, but only the priests were anointed with this Special oil, the anointing oil, signified God's blessing upon them and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The word of Christ, the word um, Christ, rather, or Messiah, means anointed one. Did you know that? The word Christ or Messiah means anointed one. Jesus Christ was and is God's anointed. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Acts, as Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Earlier I mentioned the account from Luke 7 where the woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. She also kissed His feet and anointed them with ointment. That is to say, with a costly perfume. That is Luke 7.38. Begin, I say, she knew that Jesus was the Messiah the great priest of god come in the line of melchizedek and what she did for him there in that moment signified that and jesus as god's anointed one does also anoint his people he anoints them not with oil but with the one the oil signifies the holy spirit of god he spoke to his disciples after his resurrection saying for john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now. That is Acts five, And a little later he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is Acts eight. And Paul, writing years afterwards, said this, And it is God who, has established, who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put this seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. John speaks to Christians in this way in 1 John 2.20. But you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. 1 John 2.20. The priests under the Old Covenant and all who came into contact with them would have been reminded of the Holy Spirit as they smelled the pleasing aroma of this anointing oil. Indeed, that aroma would have filled the entire tabernacle as the tent itself, its furnishings and utensils, We're all to be anointed with this special oil. Under the new covenant, God's people are not anointed with perfumed oil, symbolizing the power or presence of the Holy Spirit. No, instead, all who are united to Christ by faith, who are partakers of the new covenant, do in fact have the Holy Spirit of promise. They are sealed with the Spirit. And this is why Paul could speak to individual believers in this way, saying, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. And in another place, he speaks of the whole church, saying, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? Under the Old Covenant, the temple, its furnishings, all of its utensils, its priesthood, they were to be anointed with this perfumed oil signifying the presence of the Holy Spirit. But under the New Covenant, something far greater has come. God's temple and His priests who minister within it have been anointed, not with perfumed oil, signifying the coming of the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit Himself. The Holy Spirit has been poured out within us individually and within us corporately so that we are to walk before Him as His priests, as His temple here on earth. He dwells in the midst of us. So is there any physical reminder for for us now under the new covenant that we have been anointed with the Holy Spirit Yes, again, again I say, baptism and the Lord's Supper are reminders of this. In baptism, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God is signified. As the one baptized is taken under the water, their union with Christ and His death is signified. As they are brought up again, their new life in Christ is signified. And who is it that makes us alive? It is God the Father working through the Son and by the Spirit. The one who has faith and is baptized came to faith by the Spirit working. Indeed, it is a Spirit who anoints them and seals them. And the Lord's Supper does also signify the Holy Spirit's presence with us and in us. When we see the bread and the cup, we are reminded of Christ's broken body and His shed blood. We are also reminded that He is risen and that He is ascended. Then comes to mind His promise to be with us always... And to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. In Christ, is Christ present in the bread and the wine? We say not in a fleshly way. But yes, he is present with us according to his divinity and by the power of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out from on high. We have a reminder of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's Supper as we partake of it, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. Church, I preach like this sometimes. Maybe you would say often, you know. Reading large portions of Scripture, rushing through them. I hope it doesn't feel too rushed, but I do speak rapidly, don't I? Uh, Reading from the Old Testament and the New, and I'm trying to help you make connections. I'm trying to help you make connections not so that you might just understand the facts that are told to us in the Scriptures about the way that the Old Covenant people of God were to worship. I I don't want you to just know the facts. I want you to understand the significance of these things. I want you to understand how these things have been fulfilled in Christ and how these things are even now fulfilled in us through our union with Him. You have to do some work here. You have to pull your weight, in other words. You're going to have to take all of this teaching and you're going to have to ponder these things and to ask the question, what does this mean for us now? It means a lot. I do pray that as you do this work of contemplation or meditation upon scripture, I do pray that your appreciation for Jesus the Christ grows and grows. We are rich in him We have something marvelous in Him. The New Covenant brings us benefits far greater than the Old Covenant could ever bring. Indeed, we do believe that those who believed prior to the coming of the New Covenant benefited from the benefits of the New Covenant as well. But that's another subject. We are rich in Christ Jesus. We are rich in Him. And we have been called to walk before our God as His holy and chosen people. We are to be priests to God. In fact, as I was thinking about how to wrap all of this complexity up, I thought perhaps the best way to do it would be to read from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, where the apostle applies the same truths that we have been considering. The the apostle is considering these old covenant truths, and he here makes application to the new covenant people of God in this way. That we may receive mercy and find help, find grace to help in time of need. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the gift of faith that you have given to us. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to grow in our understanding of who Christ is and what he has done help us also to grow in our understanding of the benefits that have come to us through Him. The benefits are many, but one of them is this, we have been invited to draw near to you. Christ, our mediator, has made a way. The veil in the temple has been torn in two. The way has been opened up. Lord, I do pray that we, who have been consecrated as priests to God, that we, would come boldly before the throne of grace regularly so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. These are difficult days in which we live. And God, I pray that we would run to you, that we would draw our strength from you so that we might be found faithful to proclaim the excellencies of you, O God, and of the Christ that you have sent. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Christ's name and all of God's